we're really uh, grateful for all that God is doing in our church. And um, over the last sort of six, seven weeks, we've been taking this journey to think about what it means to follow Jesus with our whole lives, to be part of his community, part of his kingdom, which is unfolding uh, in our workplaces, in our streets, in our cities, and our colleges. And we've been sort of trying to challenge that thing that we can fall into very quickly when we feel like our careers are about success or just getting through or recognition or money when actually really God's called us to be missionaries. He's called us to be beacons of hope and light in every place that we have influence. And of course, we all have influence. So we all have places where God's called us, whether it's one person that we meet in a week or it's thousands. And uh, so as we kind of transition out of that series, we're going back into Luke's gospel. And we started the journey through Luke uh, four years ago. And so far, we've made it to Luke chapter 10. So we're like, we're on the way. Um, but it's amazing. When you open the Bible... Um, God speaks. And I just encourage you to do that as part of your life, whatever you do, to be someone who opens up the Bible regularly. Because it's, as we read scripture, God always has things to say. And a few weeks ago, I opened up uh, Luke chapter 10, which is the, just the next bit of the series, and thought, oh, I can't believe it. Like, this speaks perfectly, amazingly, to what God has been speaking over the last weeks. And so Elijah's going to come up, um, and he is going to uh, read for us two different bits of Luke chapter 10. So as always, if you've got your Bibles with you or a device that you can have them open, it's always great to have it open in front of you. Um, it'll also be up on the screens. I will be reading Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 9 and 17 through 21. After the Lord appointed the 72 others and set them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If, anyone, or if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the workers deserve his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Verses 17 and 21. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirit submits to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have given these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you have ever read through Luke's gospel, which is one of the accounts of the life of Jesus, you'll know that chapter one through nine is really asking the question, like, who is Jesus? Who is this guy who turns up 2,000 years ago in a little backwater of the Roman Empire? Who is he? Just a prophet? Just a nice guy? Someone who's got some wise things? And the answer to the question that you hear over and over again is, no, this is 
God. This is literally the same person, the same entity who flung the stars into space, who has appeared to rescue all of humanity. And then when you get to chapter 9 onwards, it then sort of flips. And the question isn't who is Jesus. The question is, if Jesus is God, then how are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to do about any of it? And the answer, which comes back over and over again, is this one. Be a disciple. Be a disciple of Jesus. Now, I know the word disciple is just one of those words that we use in church sometimes. And we all go, yes, be a disciple. And then inwardly, we're like, what does that mean? It's just sort of an assumed thing, which we have a thousand different views on. But over the next weeks, we're going to delve into, because Jesus gives us lots of different answers to that question of what it means to be a disciple, a follower of um, him. And uh, if you remember back to last week, uh, no, not last week, a bunch of weeks ago, we saw part of that answer, which was actually to be stewards, good stewards of God's good creation. But today, we see an answer, which is the answer is to be a disciple is to be a messenger, one who has a message which we're invited to share with others. And not just that, but we're supposed to urge other people to believe the same message that we have. Now, I bet, as I just said that, some of you were went, no thanks. <laughs> no thanks. Like, we live in a moment of history when the idea that we might, and this is the horrible word, isn't it, proselytize, that we might tell other people what we believe in order that they would believe the same thing is unbelievably frowned upon concept, isn't it? The idea that you should tell other people your truth uh, gives us inside this kind of like, oh, really? Do I really have to do that? Because it's just not a cool thing to do. And probably, if we're honest, and we delve deeply into our own discomfort, we probably find things we really don't like about evangelism, things we really don't like about mission, things that have been done in the name of Jesus or the church, which we're like, I just don't want to be part of that. And so I'm going to invite you just to hold on to your discomfort. Hold on to it for a minute. Be prepared to delve into it as we like, reimagine what it might actually mean to have a mission, have a message of the good news of Jesus. All right, so um, in chapter 9, if you can remember back or you've ever read that bit before, Jesus sends out the 12. These are like his crack elite special forces team. In fact, they're not so elite at all. They're a bit of a mess, but they are his kind of people. They're the ones who've lived with him. They've traveled with him. They've heard the stuff. And in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says to them, I'm sending you out. And he basically says three things. He says, preach, use words, talk about me, cast out demons, basically liberate people from bondage and slavery, and heal the sick. Like bring healing and transformation to people who have brokenness in their bodies or even communities. In a, in a summary, Jesus basically says, anything you've seen me do, anything of my life, anything I've spoken about, you do it too. And if you know what happens, they go out and they come back and amazing things happen. But it's kind of weird that after that, Jesus suddenly says, in the next chapter, he sends 72. Because if you just had 12, right? if Jesus just said 12 out, we could probably sit around today and go, that's really great. That's really great. Jesus is going to select particular individuals who've got like specific gift, like the, the chosen and anointed ones. 
you know, those people, the people who we should give special title to. And he's going to send those people out. And the rest of us, we can just like applaud gently. You know, that's great for you. Brilliant. We're sitting here. But suddenly in chapter 10, Jesus goes, I'm now sending out 72. So what's all that about? Why repeat yourself? Well, in that time, a lot of people read the Old Testament in uh, the Greek version, which is the Septuagint. And in Genesis chapter 10, right in the beginning of the human story, there is this list of all of the nations on earth. Now, a little, little quiz for you this morning. How many nations do you think listed in Genesis chapter 10 there might have been on earth, just in light of what I just told you like three seconds ago? Any guess? 72, it's incredible. You must be a theologian. Like, you must be. Right? There are 72. And so what this is, this is deep symbolism. The number 72 isn't random. Jesus is basically saying, I am sending everyone, all of you, to all of the world to bring and proclaim like, the kingdom of God. And the word he uses, send, is the word missio, missio which we don't have to use a bit of clever uh, interpretation to know is clearly the word mission that we use all the time. So to be a disciple of Jesus, it seems, has this twofold pattern. The first part is that it is about being called radically in to relationship with God. Like, I, I guess if you would call yourself a Christian here this morning, at some point along the way, you have moved from knowing about God in a philosophical or religious sense. You've, you've moved from having a vague idea of what he's like and what, he, what his character is to knowing him personally. You've come into intimate relationship. Maybe along the way, you've, you've found healing or you've found blessing, you've found meaning. You've been radically called into that intimate, deep, personal, individual relationship with him. But you've actually been called radically in as Tim Keller says, to be sent radically out. Called radically in to go together to join him in his mission. And that's not a new thing. That's exactly what God has always been about. You think about Abraham, right, in the Old Testament. He says to Abraham, dude, come in here. I want to meet you. And I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all nations. Right, Moses, remember that bit when he's like at the burning bush having like a little campfire thing and the bush doesn't burn up and he takes his shoes off and it's super holy and basically he has this incredible encounter with God and God says to him, brilliant, now go. Go to Egypt, rescue the people from slavery and captivity. Isaiah says, come and meet me, we're going to deal with all this sin and brokenness so that you can go and preach. This is the journey of the Christian life is God calls us radically in so that we can be radically sent out. But the problem is this one. For most of us as Christians, we only do half of the story. We only do half. And at different parts of the, the, the religious landscape and culture and history, Christians have been better at generally one or the other of the in and the out. But it strikes me that for many of us, and probably if I look at how I've been, my life as growing up in the church, is that it's mostly been about the in. Mostly. Like we, we say, don't we, come in, come in, welcome. It's great to have you. Come into relationship with Jesus. Come and worship him as we've done this morning. Beautiful, wonderful, intimate thing. Come and pray, have a conversation. Come receive the sacraments. Come and be in this place of discipleship and learning through scripture. Come in. 
And we go, this is great. Like, thank you. I'd love to come in. I love this. And we just keep coming in. And we become very quickly, you know, connoisseurs of the quality of the coming in experience. You know that one? Like, oh, you know, gosh, the worship this morning was at least a B plus or an A, no, a star. Like, or the coffee was anointed or at least, you know, drinkable. Or the donuts were really great. The kids' ministry was great. We come further and further in and we become like a connoisseur and a critique of the coming in experience. You know, like, wow, you know, I know what it is to have a great experience with the Lord. It becomes comfortable. It becomes wonderful. We become sort of cocooned in this Christian environment that we love. And by the way, I think it's great. But here's the problem. If we're not careful, we actually just, all we do is we create like a subculture. We create a subculture with our own language. You know, the language of the Christian people. You know, have you been washed by the blood of the lamb today, brother or sister? The kind of words that nobody else, anywhere else understands whatsoever, right? And we just use these words. And more than that, we huddle up into a Christian space where we look out at everybody else who believes different things to us in the world. And actually, we treat them with a lot of fear. A lot of fear, and skepticism, and cynicism, and we look out almost at everybody else in the world like they're a foreign nation that's going to invade us any time soon and wipe us off the face of the earth. Like Christians can be some of the most scared people about looking at the world, right? They, they can. But the problem is, of course, is because we've missed half of the story. That God brings you in into all of the blessings of the kingdom of God and the community of worship and prayer and mission and all of the beautiful things so he can send you out. So he can send you out to be a healing agent, to reweave the ripped and broken things which have gone wrong since the creation of the world. That's what God saved you to be part of. This, um, this circle diagram that we've been using over and over, um, I, I drew it like eight weeks ago as a bit of a kind of, on the back of a bit of paper, just thinking how does this whole thing work? But the more I've thought about this, the more I'm convinced that this isn't just a nice picture of like how we can do it better, but this is actually the Christian life. This is the Christian life, that we are called into community with God, we're brought into relationship, we worship him, we pray, we are healed up, and we're sent out. And we go to bring healing and transformation. And we come back in to be healed up and to meet and gather. And then we go and we come and we go. This is what we're supposed to be about. And by the way, I think it's supposed to be an exciting thing. Um, anyone think it's an exciting thing? L literally him. <laughs> I mean, thank you. Okay, give me, give me another 15 minutes. See, <laughs> see what we can do. You see... Before we all met Jesus, and I know some of us have probably describe ourselves on a spiritual journey, we probably have like every right ever to be very focused on ourselves. I mean, quite frankly, if there is nothing beyond what we touch and feel and see, if you're going to live another couple of decades or whatever and then die and that's it, quite frankly, if that's true, then we should live like all about what we can get out of it, squeeze out of this short existence fast, get whatever you can, whilst you can. But when you became a Christian, your whole story changed. 
And it wasn't, therefore, anymore about what you can do with a few decades on earth. It became about the eternal story of God and your involvement in it. Like when you met God, hopefully you would say you found your desires and your longings were met. Hopefully you would say you discovered something of healing, a relationship. You got at least a little bit or filled up with the Holy Spirit. And if you did, then maybe you can't actually be self-absorbed anymore because you are living to a different story, a life that is given and lived, as Jeannie said a minute ago, um, we are living out to live for others. In fact, Paul puts it like this if you turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. We, that's all of us, are God's handiwork. Just say to the person next to you, you are God's handiwork. But don't do it in a creepy way, otherwise we'll have to ask you to leave. Okay, that's probably a mistake. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do God's works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Right, what that means is this, is that when God thought about 2023 from his perspective outside of time and space, he probably went something like this. Okay, Pasadena, 2023... Uh, in that street or that college or that school or that neighborhood or that friendship group, I'm going to need somebody who is like that, who can bring something of my kingdom and healing to bear. So I'm going to make a Seth, because he had the right answer a minute ago. (laughs) Or I'm going to make a Matt or a Jeannie or a Jane or a Jacinta, or like I'm going to make somebody like that because I need somebody like that to be part of my kingdom story. Right, And that means that there's something about you, there's something about your history, your story, your nationality, the language that you speak, something about your biology, something of your age or your gifting or whatever you have, your experiences, which is what God is wanting to use. It's what God wants to use to bring transformation. It means that there are some hands that only you can hold. There are some needs that only you can meet. There are even maybe some demons that only you can drive out. God made you for a purpose. Now, that isn't a widely held view in the world, isn't it? If you look back to the Enlightenment, there was this um, philosopher called Martin Heidegger. And he had this, uh, he had this idea called Gewaffenheit. It's a brilliant name. Um, it means thrownness. And his sort of idea was that every human being is just a kind of arbitrary, thrown, biological, sort of like random creation of cells. And therefore, you can kind of do what you want because it's all arbitrary. When actually, Jesus says, you are not thrown into the world arbitrarily. You are sent into the world with mission. Right? That's the Christian story. And you are sent with a message Next week, we'll talk about how you might be other things than messengers as well, like neighbors. But here in Luke 10, this is what Jesus says. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Speak of the gospel. Speak of the reality of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ and salvation. And do it with authority. Notice verse 16. 
Whoever listens to me, to you, sorry, listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. I don't know if you can follow that. Um, it's a bit complicated, but basically when you speak of the gospel, you are speaking on behalf of Jesus with his authority. And therefore you are speaking on behalf of God. And if anyone rejects you, they reject Jesus, they reject God. When we speak of this message, it is a message of enormous importance and power. Now, okay, I get it. You're probably going to go like, really? I don't still love the idea. I have a picture in my mind of the guy at the Rose Parade with the megaphone and the you're going to hell thing, right? That's, the, that's, that's where my mind goes to, at least. Like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to go like that. In fact, a little study before, well, big study, before the pandemic hit said that somewhere around half of practicing Christian millennials actually would say that it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Now, and I'm going to talk in a minute, but I think we have come to that conclusion and why we feel so icky about all of this stuff. But just for a minute, I want to remind us what gospel really means. The word is evangelion, which means literally this, good news, or specifically objective news of a history-changing event. When a gospel has ever been declared in the world, it has been of such high import and significance that people have had to make a choice about whether or not they will respond to it. There's actually, if you look in the history books, you'll find a document which is called this, the the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the gospel, the good news of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And when Augustus became Caesar in the Roman Empire, heralds went throughout the land with their sort of trumpety things, or at least that's how I envisioned it. And they they said, hear this, everyone, Augustus is Caesar. This is the gospel. And people had to make a choice. You know, they couldn't say, well, that's nice for you, but it doesn't make any difference to me. Like, that was the reality. Whether they liked it or they not, they could leave or they could live with that story. A gospel is an announcement of history-changing event that affects every single person. Um, One of the best examples we have, if you uh, go back to history again, is in BC 490, just slightly before many of us were born, uh, was in the Battle of Marathon. And basically what's happening is like Persia are invading the Greeks in Athens. And basically the Greeks are overrun. And in Athens, the Athenians are like freaking out because they're like, we're, this is the last line of defense at Marathon. Once this battle's lost, we are done for. The Persians are going to take over the city. Like everything is done. And so there's like looting and there's rioting in the streets because everyone's just losing their minds basically. But against all of the odds, The Athenians actually beat the Persians at the Battle of Marathon. And what the military commanders realize is that immediately they need to send word back to Athens to stop everyone freaking out and doing crazy things. So they send this guy, it just so happens it's about 20-something miles from the Battle of Marathon to see where that comes from. That's the Olympics, right there, right? They send him and it's 20-something miles and he gets back to Athens and he's exhausted and all he can basically say is rejoice. We've triumphed. Rejoice, we've triumphed. And he basically collapses in the middle of the street because he's run so far and I can't run that far either. But 
It's a gospel. It's an enormous claim. And when Jesus comes to earth, the gospel is even more enormous because it doesn't come from a military commander or even a Caesar emperor figure. It comes from God. It's like a herald to humanity. Listen to this. This is the gospel. And we know that it comes from God because Jesus says it in verse 18. He says these funny words, if you heard them a minute ago, they're on the screen. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I'm like, what's all that about? Well, if you ever think about like history and cosmology, even before the world, you'll know that in our Christian uh, like understanding, we believe that Satan, the devil, was kicked out of heaven before the world was ever created because of his pride and his arrogance and his desire to be God. And so right in the middle of this funny story, Jesus, this human guy from Nazareth, he says, I was there. There were no humans there because the world hadn't been created, but he says, I was literally there watching it happen, which is exactly the same as saying, I am God. The gospel is a proclamation that comes from God and says, listen to this, this is going to make some difference to the world. And what is that news? The news is God has come to defeat the powers of darkness, to defeat the brokenness and the evil, to make a way for every human being to enter into a relationship with God. The gospel is that all our junk and our mess and the things that would separate us from a holy God can be dealt with and left behind. That we can have a way to enter into a relationship with God and that we can walk in step with him into all of eternity. This is the gospel. And it demands some sort of response. Now, that as a message is the truth. But it's hard, isn't it? With all of our baggage and all the things we carry. But I want to suggest that if you are here this morning, and if I am here this morning, and I actually hold that to be true then it demands, in some sense, that I would communicate it in some way. Because if I don't want to communicate it, it can only really say two things. One is, it can't really be true. Like, I mean, it can't really be true for everybody. Maybe it's true for some people, but it's not true for people who don't want it. Like, it's not true for everyone. Or, it is true, but actually, I don't really want to tell you about it which seems in my mind, at least logically, to be a bit like having the cure for cancer and then basically telling nobody about it because it sounds uncomfortable to tell anyone. Like, it's logically nonsense, but it's kind of where we end up. And I know we end up there, and it's okay, and I do too. We feel very uncomfortable in the middle of it, but we should remember, and if you hear nothing else, just hear this this morning, the gospel is the difference between life and death. It is the literal difference between life and death. And if it is, then maybe we should be the kind of people who run through the streets for 20-something miles until we collapse in a heap, shouting, like, this is good news for, for the world. Now, I know that there are so many problems, and you probably feel them like I do along the way. But I want to, my final thing I want to talk about this morning is, is that could it be 
that the reason we don't like evangelism or we find it difficult and complicated and thorny situations really is down to two things. Firstly, because actually if there was such a thing as the gospel, if there was this thing, this person called God who wants to rescue and redeem the world and there is something of evil and darkness, then we should probably recognize that there will be a spiritual battle that goes on over whether the gospel is told. It just makes sense. And I feel it in my soul every time I have an opportunity to speak of Jesus. There is a little thing that goes off in my head that says, shut up, shut up, don't talk about it. It's embarrassing, just don't talk about it. Now, I have to conclude that that comes from somewhere and it is something of darkness that still pecks away at me. But I also think that the reason maybe we, many of us feel very uncomfortable about evangelism and mission is because the motivation behind how it has been done has got so far from what Jesus had to say. Just look with me I'm at verse 17 for a minute. It kind of slightly blew me away when I read this um, because I've read verse 17 as one of my favorite verses for a long time and I think I might have been misreading it because it says this. The 72, after they'd gone out and done all the cool stuff, returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now I've read that for years thinking that's amazing. Isn't that cool? You join Jesus on mission All this cool stuff happens, and we rejoice about it. It's really cool. Except that I may have not read properly what Jesus says in response in verse 20. Because this is what Jesus says. However, 72, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I don't know if you spotted what just happened there. But basically, the 72 go out and they're like, this is amazing. We have so much power. Like, we have the power. Jesus has got this ability to heal people. Now we can heal people. Jesus can set people, people free. Now we can set people free. Jesus speaks and people listen. And now we speak and people listen. We are so amazing. We are so awesome. I feel like they probably came back and went, let's start 72 international ministries. Like, we are the big deals. We're somebodies. We're as powerful as Jesus is. This is absolutely incredible. And yet Jesus goes, what? You've totally missed it. You've totally missed it. Could it be possible that when we look out of the world and all of the mess that we're seeing almost feels like on a weekly basis, the scandals of leadership, the abuses of power, the celebrity status of like how we part of pastors, the stuff that gets said in the name of Jesus but has nothing to do with it. Could it be that really what we have done, and it literally brings me to tears sometimes, is that we have turned this thing into a power game. We've turned it into a power game where we're like, you should listen to me because I have all the answers. I am the powerful one. I am the anointed one. I am the gifted one. You should follow me, submit to me. You should come to my ministry. You should be part of my thing. It's all about me. And yet Jesus says, it's not all about you. It's all about him. It's all about him. When we look at the scandals of the leadership and the churches imploding, leaders going off the rails and the religious wars that have happened throughout history, 
Could it just be that we have turned it to be about power and ego? We've turned the gospel to be about image and success and fame and stages. And the problem is, that is just a very fast road to destruction. It leads to pride. If people listen to you, then it's basically abusive or coercive. It's manipulative. It's competitive. If people give their lives to Jesus, then it's like, this is a trophy in my cabinet that I can celebrate how amazing I am at leading people to Jesus. And if people don't listen to me, then what do I get to do? I get to reject them because obviously they don't fully understand. Otherwise, they would have listened to me. Right? It's nonsense and it's dangerous. We are not supposed to be about our gifts or our power or our rightness our successes. Instead, what does Jesus say? He said, rejoice that your name by grace is already written in the book of life. What is that? In in that time, every town in the Roman Empire would have had um, a role, a town role. Remember Mary and Joseph and the census thing. And basically, the elite of the village, the people who were citizens, those who had a reasonable high status, their name would be written into the town roll and everybody else's wouldn't be for lots of reasons. You couldn't get your name in there. And in a similar way, most people of that time believed that when you died, you would go and stand in front of the deity and you would have to find out if your name is written in the book of life. That kind of thing where, you know, all your good deeds are on one side and all your bad deeds are on the other side and you get a mark whether or not it's good enough and you've been a good enough person and if it's good enough, you get your name written in the book of life. Except that this is what Jesus says to these 72. He says, rejoice that your name is already in the book of life. How do you say that? How can you say to 72 people who are already still alive, your name is already in the book? Like they haven't had a bad day yet tomorrow or they haven't messed it up or they're doing a pretty good job and they haven't gone off the rails and they haven't done something really bad, which could all happen. So how can Jesus say your name's already written in the book of life? Well, it's because that's the gospel. The gospel is that you and I couldn't write our names in the book of life. We can never match up to the standard of holiness, but yet because of Jesus, because of what he came to do, we can have our names securely written in his book. That because of the gospel of his grace, we can have all our brokenness and our past and our messes dealt with. Because of what he did, we can live in relationship with him every day. Because of what he did, we get to know that our future for all eternity is totally and completely secure. Our names are written in the book of life. And it's incredible. But do you see how different a posture that is? It is not, I am right, and so you must listen to me. It is, I have discovered something that changes everything. And I love you, and I would like you to know something about what I have discovered. Right? It's actually Jesus says in verse 21, the people generally who think that they're really wise and learned, who are moral and have it all sorted, will miss this. They'll mess it up. They won't understand it. But the people who will get it, he says, are like little children, those who are humble and are open 
He says that we are like lambs among wolves. And that's not a very pretty picture. I, in the middle of the night last night, woke up to some coyotes like ripping into something. It's not, it's not very nice. It's not a nice picture. But what's he saying? He's saying we're supposed to be like the lambs. Gentle, kind, humble, loving, maybe even a little small. Not like the wolves who rip into people and devour them and rule by power. That is what the gospel is, church. And so could it just be that actually it's not that the gospel is wrong, it's not that the message is wrong, it's not that we're not even supposed to communicate it, it's just that actually if we really get down to it, it's just that we are so put off by the way that it is being communicated that instead what we need to do is redeem our motivation, to redeem the story, to go back to our first principles of being people who are broken, people who don't have it together, people who are not morally superior, but people who have found something that makes sense of everything else. I feel like somehow the logical position is that we have to be people who are prepared to go. Even though it's uncomfortable and it's difficult, we have to be people who are prepared to give an answer. And I know that here in this church, there are a number of us even here this morning who are here because somebody else over the last three or four weeks has been just brave enough to say to someone, hey, can I just tell you something about what I found? And by hearing that and responding to it, others of you in this room have found incredible life and transformation and healing. And I, I, I want to bet that almost every single one of us here today knows at least one person who is waiting for good news. They're waiting. They're waiting for somebody to say, there is something that makes sense of all of this. There is forgiveness of sins. There is a way to live in community with God. And there is an eternal future. And they're waiting for someone to tell them. What if this week, that could be me. What if that could be you? What if in prayer, that could be part of our story? Now, I know that's a bit hard, and so I close with just this thought. If you think the idea of even telling people what you believe about Jesus feels a bit even too much right now, maybe in prayer, you might even this week just consider offering an invitation to someone. Maybe this week, you might even just say, hey, Christmas is coming up alarmingly soon, and doesn't everybody like carols and singing? And what about even just inviting a friend to a church carol service? You can come to one here, you can come to one at any of the churches in the city, but I can tell you what I will be doing at Christmas is standing right here telling people about the love of Jesus. Maybe you could invite a friend to come on Alpha in the spring. Alpha's just a place to ask the questions without pressure or judgment or power dynamics or coercion to come and allow people space to discover spiritual truths. Would you invite a friend to come on Alpha? And so just for a moment, I'm gonna have, we're going to have a bit of silence. But before we do, I just also want to offer one more invitation, which is this. If maybe you're here this morning and someone dragged you along to church and you're wrestling and you're trying to figure it out. And maybe the idea for you this morning is I would love an opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus. And I would want to say to you this morning, this is a great morning to start a relationship with Jesus. So would you, uh, wherever you are, just uh, bow your heads and we'll pray together.
Firstly, um, Lord, for any of us in this place who um, are just yearning for answers to spiritual things, but this morning would like to start a relationship with you. Father, would you receive us into your kingdom? And I'm just going to use the words of a prayer that you can echo in your heart. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for making a way for my sins and junk to be dealt with. Thank you that in Jesus I can have a life with you. And thank you that through Jesus I can have the assurance of eternal life. Come into my life today. But Lord, for the rest of us, we dare to pray for the boldness and the courage to speak of you this week. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself that you would give us a moment, an opportunity, a place to love someone well and just share something of the hope that we found of you. I pray that you would create an opportunity on the street or at the school gate or in our office car park or on a Zoom call or just somewhere where we can have that moment where we can just share something. And in doing so, I pray that seeds would be planted and the beginning of lives being changed would happen. And so come Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.